0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor in play betting. Watch the action, predict the action, and make your best bet with the latest odds on over 1,000 daily events. 18 plus, be NFL
1: Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my
0: name is Yona and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day Podcast.
1: Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, I am delighted to welcome this individual on the podcast today. He is a man who made 76 appearances for the club, scoring 23 goals. He played with the likes of Clive Walker, Colin Lee, and a certain co-host of this podcast, Gary Chivers.
0: Here is Alan Mays. Alan, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? Very well, thank you. And thanks for inviting me. No, it's, it's absolutely
1: my pleasure. Um, just want to sort of start, if, if I may. Who influenced you to become a professional footballer?
0: Um, various schoolmasters, I suppose. Um, from an early age, very early age, I knew that I wanted to be a footballer. Um, you're going to have to forgive me, Chelsea fans, but uh, I was a regular visitor to White Hart Lane. Um, Jimmy Greaves was my idol, though. He was a Chelsea player as well, as you know. Um, and I thought he was fantastic, so uh, he was a, a big influence um, in terms of wanting to be a footballer, and um, you know that the determination was there from an early age that um, that's what I wanted to do. And I was fortunate to have 17 years in the end.
1: What was you like at school in regards to football? Was you was you a striker then, or was you playing different positions?
0: I was always a goal scorer, but um, around the time that I was getting a number of offers from professional clubs, I was playing sort of midfield for the county, but always wanted to, I suppose, play up front. So, yeah, a, a striker at heart, I suppose.
1: And back to your point when you, saw you supported Tottenham, did you go to many games to see Mr Greaves live?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, some of the great games as well, um, where he scored that fantastic goal against Manchester United. But uh, he he just had such composure when he finished. I, I wish I had some of that during my career. Um, he and he was very skillful, um, and um, you know, he I suppose he was very much a role model.
1: He stood out a lot from other strikers in that era.
0: Yeah, I mean, even used used to shoot from corners. (laughs) Honestly, on his left (laughs) foot, it was—I can remember that. But um, whilst, like a lot of strikers, he might not be in the game for long periods of time, he always pop up and was likely to score. I mean, he's got such a fantastic record. I mean, as strikers, most of us keep a record—a sort of ratio of goals per game. Um, but his was really beyond compare.
1: It's a shame he didn't get many caps for England as well. I think that's sort of something that will sort of bug a few supporters because of his ability, and he just didn't sort of get the caps that I feel that he deserved.
0: That that's right. And um, I saw his documentary. I, I know he had injury problems in and around the World Cup. So that was desperately unlucky for him. But then uh, a certain Jeff Hurst uh, saw us <laughs> win the World <laughs> Cup. So his loss was uh, Jeff's gain. And obviously, you never know what might have happened if, if Jimmy had been playing. So, but yeah, a f- fantastic player.
1: Now, it was in December of 1980 you signed for Chelsea from Swindon Town for, when I looked at the research, the fee was around about £200,000. How did this move come about and what appealed to you about moving to Chelsea?
0: I had a phone call um, from Jeff Hurst one evening. I nearly put the phone down because I thought it was uh, one of the lads winding me up. Uh, fortunately I didn't Um, you know to say I was not back, Jeff Hurst I mean the legend that he is um, to speak to him um, about the opportunity of joining Chelsea, who are a massive club, even then albeit in the then second division um, it it was just a fantastic opportunity Um, I had quite recently had um, the manager at Swindon call me into the office and tell me that uh, Spurs had made an offer, um, but they turned, the club had turned it down. Um, So I'm not sure if you're aware, I I didn't sign at the first time of asking. It was actually a month or two after I first spoke to Jeff, because I suppose I was hoping that... um, As big a club as Chelsea was, I obviously wanted to play in the first division. But um, eventually, um, I decided to to join Chelsea and, um, you know, knocked out by the stature of the club. The first time going to Stamford Bridge. And um, as I say, I knew it was a massive club. It was a massive move. So
1: it's fair to say that Jeff Hurst was quite influential in your decision. And obviously, because he was the manager at the time as well. So how influential was he with you moving to Chelsea? As, as you just said, you know, he was the guy who scored in the 1966 World Cup. What was he like as a coach?
0: Oh, it was a huge factor, um, Jeff Hurst, as well as, you know, the club. Um, he, he was a lovely guy. He was a good coach. Um, he had Bobby Gould with him and I had huge respect for as a striker what he'd achieved in the game. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought he was a a very, very nice guy, maybe too nice. I, I don't know um, in terms of football management. If that's fair to say, because obviously he moved on, which was very disappointing uh, as far as I was concerned, because he bought me. I, I, I wanted to deliver for him because of the fact that he had faith in me. Uh, both Jeff and, and Bobby were, were a huge factor early on. So, yeah, to to have a, a legend such as Jeff Hurst um, say, so I want you to come. And play for me was, you know, brilliant at the time.
1: You signed for the club. Obviously, having Jeff Hurst as coach, you know, is quite a big factor. Who did you get on well with in, in the Chelsea team in the early days of your time there?
0: Um, got on quite well with uh, everyone, really. There, there were a lot of young lads uh, around, very talented lads like Gary Chivers. Uh, Mickey Fillory in particular. Um, I got to know Clive Walker quite well because he was local to where I lived. Um, Mickey Droy was a big influence as as a player. Huge respect for him as a player and a captain. And uh, I got on very well with Graham Wilkins, actually, Mm. Um, as a player. I thought he was a very good player and quite unlucky in the scheme of things during his spell at Chelsea.
1: You mentioned Mickey Droy. Not many people sort of have spoke about him. What was he like as a leader? Because he would be, he played as a centre back and he he played many games for Chelsea. But what was he like as a sort of a
0: leader and all out captain? Well, he led by example. He was a he was a very good player. I think people forget that. I mean, he was a huge lad and he could sort of head it further than. Some lads could kick him, but he could play. He could pl- play but um, when I say lead by example, we won at QPR, who were top of the league on Boxing Day uh, in my second season. Um, and we played on AstroTurf. And he came off. Uh, I remember John Neal saying that uh, we had to treat it as a normal game because it was a very difficult surface to play on. Um, and that we don't pull out of tackles. Um, obviously, pressing. What was a very good QPR side, and he came off with grazes and scars all over his body because of this surface, the astroturf, and that sort of epitomised the player he was and, and the leader by example that that he demonstrated. He, he was he was a good lad. What was the feeling amongst the players
1: when you used to go to grounds like QPR? And I think even Luton had the Astro
0: turf as well. Did you guys have seen joy playing on that surface and not not happy. Um, it's completely different scenario back then. The surface, it was really bumpy and skiddy. Um, I've got that game on video and you, you can see lads, um, sliding around. Although, uh, it was one of the most memorable memorable games for me because against the odds, we won 2-0 on Boxing Day. I scored the second goal. Massive Chelsea support there. Um, and just a great game to play in. Uh, uh, the The thing was, there was no expectation that we were going to win, especially on a surface like that. So... Mm to come away with winning 2-0 against top of the league on that pitch. And again, it was horrendous. <laughs> you, you asked me what it was like. No player would have wanted to play on that every week. Uh, I mean, they, they played on it every other week and managed to come to terms with it. They were a good side. Hmm. So that that was quite memorable for a number of reasons.
1: Now, you made your debut for Chelsea. On Boxing Day, the year before against Luton, when I was, again, doing sorting out my research, I didn't realise back, back then that Chelsea would play two games in two days. 24 hours later, they played Bristol City. What was that like, playing two games in two days?
0: Well, it wouldn't happen now, as you know, but it's no. um, <laughs> tough. And I think um, from memory... Uh, Chelsea lost midweek. Um, I, I know I'm right in saying that the day that I first came along to Stamford Bridge, we had a, a very tough training session on the Cinder Track as it was at Stamford Bridge. Um, so I'm not sure if everyone felt a hundred percent physically fit when we played Luton and they were a good side. They were top of the league. Um, and um i think we've probably outplayed um the players that i spoke to were saying that they they've been struggling mm. um over over that particular period and obviously there was a lot of expectation that i would come in and um immediately have an impact certainly on my debut unlike other clubs that i played for that didn't happen unfortunately but um that's how it goes sometimes.
1: You did score your first goal for the club against Shrewsbury Town in January 1981. What was that moment like for you to get off the mark for your new club?
0: Yeah, huge relief. Um, I think I was reading that it was actually Gary Chivers that um, played it across. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, that's that season talking about statistics... We were really struggling for goals. And again, you know, I have to accept that it was my job to change that. And I got four in 10 games, which at the time wasn't deemed a reasonable return. And I accept that. These days, it probably would. But it, it was a tough start. Sometimes it takes you a while to settle in. Um, probably didn't hit the ground running those first few games and then Jeff left, obviously. So it was a tough baptism, massive club, massive expectation. And, um, you know, I I felt that straight away um, because of the fact that, you know, Chelsea needed to be back in the first division. And um, a lot of the onus was going to be on someone like myself, who previously scored a lot of goals and was expected to do that when I joined.
1: Did you feel then there was a lot of pressure on your shoulders to deliver and the fact that they bought you as the striker to, as you say, get Chelsea back into the first division? Did you feel there was more pressure put on you than what there would be normally?
0: Massively, mm-hmm. absolutely, in a nutshell. Um, and you read so much uh, these days, and th- there's lots of support for players that are maybe going through sort of confidence and mental problems. I think all the clubs these days have psychologists. Maybe I I could have done with one of those uh, back then. But, uh, yeah, when you join a club like Chelsea, um, who, you know, had legends, absolute legends, over many, many years, the expectation... Straight away is that you deliver and that's fair enough I, you know, I I accepted that i didn't I certainly didn't deliver that first season in terms of uh, goals and you know i got I got the stick because of that, but you, you have to take that and move on.
1: Did you get support from your fellow teammates that they obviously they saw your quality in training did they give you support?
0: Well, I don't know. I hope so. Eventually, maybe after a little while. Um, the big thing is that I should have taken on board and continued to do so is that um, Jeff Hurst and Bobby Gold were the people that thought I was good enough to make the difference and whatever anybody else thought. And of course, you want the fans on your side. But um the important thing, as, as I watch football these days, is never just about ability, whether it's goal scoring or general play. You, you've got to have that tough mental attitude to reach the very top. And um, if you're having a crisis of confidence, um, you've got to be tough enough to overcome that and um, play well more often than not. And that's sometimes difficult if you're a certain personality that can be affected by the ups and downs of modern day football. And there's always going to be those issues for every player. It's how you overcome it. And um, even back then, I was doing a little bit of reading about um, sort of positive mental attitude, but it's not quite as easy as that when you step out. At Stamford Bridge, and that expectation is always there. And again, as a goal scorer, you can play quite well, you can work hard. And I like to think I was always professional, always put a shift in, but you have to score. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. It's, it's mm. as simple as that. I think that
1: sort of rings true now when you look at strikers. You know, people talk about Timo Werner now, and people saying that. He's not good enough. He's not scoring enough goals. But if you see what he does off the ball, he does a lot of the off the ball movements. He creates space for his teammates. And I think what, you, what you've what you just sort of described there rings true t- to this day about strikers.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, he works his socks off. But again, that first season, as, as we're discussing, you know, you, You can use statistics in any way, but um, I scored four in 10 and I was sort of the target for abuse. Despite that, um, no one else was scoring. The team wasn't playing well. We weren't creating and we weren't defending. I I think everyone at the time would accept that, but um, that maybe just sounds excuses. It's not meant to be, but um, coming in to you know, a massive club like Chelsea, with that expectation, it, it was tough in the mm. early days, for sure. Mm.
1: Now, Chelsea had a new manager in the summer of 1981 in John Neal. What was your relationship like with him? And what was he like as a coach compared to what you were used to previously?
0: He was a good coach, very direct, um, honest, straightforward. Um and you look at his record, what he achieved ultimately um you know again he you probably put him in the legend- category because of what he did for Chelsea got them out of the second division. Um, I remember initially some very good advice um about getting in the box more often rather than peripheral stuff in and around um, where you're not going to score goals so sort of that um, rang uh, uh, an alarm bell at the time because he was quite sort of vociferous about that uh, uh, in one game in particular when we were on tour. Um, And then we had a very good start the second season I was there and um, just reading reports about him saying that we had a very good chance of, of promotion and you know, we weren't far away. He didn't do it that particular season, but within two or three years, he did get the club up. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't part of that, but um, he delivered in the end. So, you know, a lot of time for him because of that. Um, in the end, the relationship wasn't great because um, the last season, I didn't play too many games, although I came in and, and scored. I was perhaps in and out and then um, I left the club along with a number of players, but uh, it wouldn't detract from what I think of him as a, a manager because he was top class.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll discuss your departure and your subsequent final season just shortly, but the season you sort of mentioned that was more prolific for you, you scored 16 goals that season. However, the team again finished 12th that season. Why did you think the the team was so inconsistent and not able to challenge for promotion.
0: I actually got 17, Keith. 16 <laughs> on the record. I'll explain that. Uh, <laughs> we, we we played at Leeds. And that's another thing about John Neal, I remember. <laughs> um, we drew three all and I scored the third goal. It was a goal. It was in. And Eddie Gray tried to knock it away, slid into the goal. I mean, there's no... VAR then but it was my goal and John Neal in the programme um, the following Saturday gave me the goal as far as Chelsea was concerned but I think on the record books um, it was down as an own goal so I'm not a happy boy about that. In terms of a return um, yeah it, was a, it wasn't prolific as in previous uh, clubs but you know, it was a good return on the number of games that I played. I felt I had a, a very good season, although, again, there were still ups and downs during that period as well.
1: What sort of stories have you got of that particular season? Because, again, you know, you sort of scored quite a lot of goals. Clive Walker, I've if you know, when I did research, scored quite a few goals as well. Why didn't you think it just didn't gel whereby the results were going to be there and Chelsea were going to be up there for... Honours?
0: Um, We were capable during that season as we showed um, uh, at the time of beating anyone but unfortunately we were capable of losing games that we should have won. We were a young side. I mean, we had some great young players I've already mentioned. uh, Mm. One or two. Uh, We had some very good forwards but I think we lacked experience. If you look at the following season or or two seasons later when Chelsea got promotion, some of the experience that they brought in, particularly in midfield. But um, we were a a good side with some Mm. great individuals and some very good young players. We weren't a great team, unfortunately. If we were, we would have been promoted. Mm. I mean, there was some hot games that I I can remember where we played really well and we steamrolled sides. And then we'd go away to maybe a lower division side and lose. So that maybe lack of experience in certain areas cost us because we were thereabouts during that season. But um, unfortunately, it didn't happen. And John obviously, John Neil decided that um, some remedial work had to be done. Mm.
1: The, the season after, the 82-83 campaign for the club was hugely disappointing. They finished 18th in the old second division. You mentioned previously you didn't play many games that season. What was going through your mind at this stage of your career? Because you did touch on it earlier that you did pick up an injury and obviously John Neal looked as if he had other ideas. What was going through your mind at at, at that particular time of your life? Um,
0: I think the writing was on the wall that the previous season going back to when I I was playing really. I wasn't just scoring goals. I was playing really well. Uh, we had a very good cup run, um, and there was a standout game in particular where um, I'd scored quite a few goals in the FA Cup, and we drew Liverpool. Um, so I'm I'm going back to uh, sort of why it sort of went a bit pear shaped. Um, John left me out and I was not just upset, but a bit flabbergasted. I like to think one or two players in particular had said to me that they were too because I had been playing so well. But obviously John had to pick a side to win and credit to (laughs) him. He did that. And the famous victory with Peter Rhodes-Brown scoring a great goal, I remember that. Mm. But it, it wasn't just the disappointment of being left out, it was the timing uh, which probably highlighted to me that um, despite the fact that I was playing so well and scoring goals, if, if he felt that um, I wasn't good enough to be playing at that stage, that had a big impact on the sort of mental process, really not me. And um, whilst I finished the season very, very well, I I sort of thought at that stage that things could be changing. And I was right. He didn't pick me at the start of the following season. Uh, I scored a lot of goals in the reserves and Mm. John put me back in. I scored, I think it was against Huddersfield, Um, but I was in and out. And eventually I wasn't part of the team that last season that, fortunately, managed to just about scrape a result and stay in the division because um, it really went pear-shaped at one stage, but I, I wasn't in the side. And um, again, you have to hold your hands up if, if if John Neal didn't think I was the right player at the time. But the previous season was a big disappointment um, during that particular game. And the, I felt the writing was on the wall and again that mental toughness might have made a, a difference because you know every player goes through that <laughs> and uh, but it had a big impact and then the following season you mentioned an injury but it wasn't just a normal injury I had a what I thought was sciatic pain and um, I was taken for an x-ray and I found out that I had osteoarthritis in my hip, which was not only debilitating, it was going to finish me eventually, which it did. And I've since had my hip resurfaced, which has been fantastic, which the PFA helped with. Um, so that last season was very, very tough, both because you know I wasn't playing, but also I didn't feel 100%. But I go back to the fact that... Um, you have to overcome these things. And Mm. I found that difficult. I'll admit that Um, a lot of players have come out in recent times and sort of highlighted mental problems, but I I was having a real tough time at that stage. Mm. And um, that's why I wasn't playing um, because I wasn't playing well enough. And you have to accept it's part of the game that sort of, Mental toughness. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, but um, saying that, it, it was still a fantastic time. Um, I'm saying this, some negative things, but it was a great club, fantastic support. Um, everywhere we went, the Chelsea fans were brilliant. I mentioned the, the game at QPR. um it was just a sea of Chelsea fans one end and uh, we actually scored both goals that boxing day, that end, uh, Clive, Clive Walker and myself. And uh, I just remember the atmosphere mainly created by Chelsea fans. So Mm. yeah, it it was a fantastic experience to join such a famous club, but um, unfortunately it wasn't quite what I'd hoped for in terms of delivering for the fans, Jeff Hurst and and the club as a whole.
1: You mentioned the QPR result on Boxing Day. Was was there any other games that stand out for you as a Chelsea player that you know you look back on now and smile about?
0: Um, well, after being left out against Liverpool, um, we got through and we played Tottenham. And after having crowds less than twenty thousand, we had. Those two games at Stamford Bridge, where there were 55,000. So that was a fantastic atmosphere to play in. And I scored against Spurs, um, although we lost 3 2. Uh, Mickey Fillory scored a great goal, remember that. Um, I got a couple against Cambridge. I've got one or two on video um, that I've seen um, goals that I've scored. And Playing, playing away at Derby in the FA Cup again, fantastic Chelsea support, and everywhere we went, Hull, Huddersfield, there, there were always Chelsea fans there, um, but in numbers, not not just a few. So mm. they they helped lift the team, you know, whatever the the result. Yeah, you mentioned the Chelsea supporters in
1: that era you must have had a sort of a good relationship with them, you know, being that particular goal scorer and, you know, again, trying to contribute as much as you can, because, you know, the stories that I've heard of of yourself was, you know, you as a hard-working centre-forward that gave everything on, on the pitch, every single game. So I think Chelsea supporters surely must have appreciated that.
0: Thank you. I hope so. I hope <laughs> people knew that I always gave everything. I was hundred percent. It's fair to say it was tough initially, but we we've already mm. highlighted that, yes. but that second season, I, I like to think, um, I turned their opinion round the third season. Again, it was difficult. I wasn't playing. So, mm. and the club was struggling. So mm. with, with a big club comes big expectations. Mm. So, Fans have got every right to sort of vent their frustration if if the team are doing well, if individuals are not performing. Um, but th- they were fantastic. Um, again, away support. I'll, I'll never forget some of the games that uh, we played in. Didn't matter where you went, they were there, and you knew they were there. So.
1: In the summer of 1983, you left Chelsea, you went back to Swindon Town. How did that move come about and what was the discussions like between you and John Neill at this stage?
0: John was very honest. Uh, he complimented me on the type of player that I was. He just alluded to the fact that he, he thought you know I'd worked really hard, was very professional throughout, despite the issues in that final season. But I think quite a number of players um, left the club. Um, There were a number of clubs interested um, and it was a difficult decision at at the time. I was, I think, 31 at that stage. So I had to consider my future. And I obviously knew Swindon um, and a lot of the players there that there was an opportunity, despite their um, lower division ranking, that there was a real opportunity and a buzz there. So rightly or wrongly, um, I I went back to Swindon um, and I I started scoring again. I got 20 in the the following season. But um, thereafter, um, I, I got injured um, and it's worth highlighting, you may remember Pop Robson at Chelsea. Um, he phoned me up uh, one day and I actually went back in the second division, and played f- uh, for Carlisle. And that move was instigated by Pop Robson, who thought that um, uh, Bob Stokoe should take me. And um, that was a very good move, very late in my career. Um, and Bob Pop Robson... You talk about influencers, what a lovely guy he was, worked his socks off every game, very good finisher. I mean, he was coming to the end of his career uh, when he played for Chelsea, but um, he was a great lad, very, very good finisher.
1: Nice story. That's good. we going to talk about now um, football of today, and I've asked this question to all my previous guests, and some have been for it, some have been massively against it. Your thoughts on VAR, Alan?
0: Mixed. (laughs) Um, I'm for it um, Mm. when it works, but it doesn't always work. I think there was, uh, was it a handball? There was a decision last night that went to VAR in the Champions League, which was terrible, I thought. But then you see one or two other decisions that, Seem to have worked out fair and reasonable, but um, yeah, it's, we've just got to live with it now. But it's it's not perfect, that's for sure.
1: No, it's, it certainly isn't. And I think, um, well, either this, at the end of this season, or even at the Euros, if they sort of have the if they VAR there, I think there will still be some dodgy decisions made on this on, on that particular issue. But as you say, we just got to live with it, and it, it's it's here to stay. I can't I can't see it sort of uh going anywhere. The fact that UEFA and FIFA are so for it, and you know they see this as the future of you know helping the referees. As you say, we just have to get used to it.
0: Absolutely, but uh, hopefully it'll improve in years to come. They're, I know they're tinkering with uh, the offside rule and. Um, deliberate or unintentional handball, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's uh, frustrating, but um, there you go. It is what it is.
1: Alan, just a couple more questions before I let you go for today. Um, Your thoughts on Chelsea this season,
0: and where do you see them finishing up this season? I think they'll finish in the top four. I I think they're a fantastic team. Um, They pass it so well. They've got Pace makes such a difference uh, and they've got it in abundance. Um, At times, you think they're going to steamroll asides and win by huge margins. That's not quite happened, but they're not far away. And that, bear in mind, they haven't lost for nine, 10 games and they're up there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be very surprised if they're not one of the top four. Um, And I'm saying that I felt so sorry for Frank Lampard because I think he would have got it right in the end. Mm. And I think that was a wrong decision. That's my opinion. But irrespective, they've got a fantastic squad as good as anyone. Uh, And if people like Werner start scoring, then they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in terms of winning it next year. But um, yeah, top four, I would think. Mm.
1: Just finally, how do you look back on your career at Chelsea in those
0: three years? Um, It was a fantastic experience. I've got to look at it like that because Chelsea are a massive club, and to be part of, uh, to have, uh, you know, a period of my career playing for a club like that. And whilst You know, I have to be honest, I didn't deliver what I was capable of. But my goal scoring record was not bad. One in three. I felt I needed a bit more support, both um, from a playing point of view, but also um, from a confidence, building confidence point of view. But it's down to the individual and I take full responsibility for not Delivering what I felt I was capable of, but um, I still enjoyed it. Um, Playing for Chelsea is special. You know, they are one of the top clubs in the world, albeit sort of lower division at the time. It it was um, an experience.
1: Well, Alan, you certainly delivered today. Thank you very much for c- coming on to the Blue Day podcast for this special interview. I've
0: enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All the best. <laughs> Go, podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. Sport Social Podcast Network